Welcome back to the Evening Under Lamplight podcast series of talks, taking us down through Dante's Inferno. I'm Robert Louis Abrahamson, but I'm just the middleman, just the guide. Dante is the man himself. The poem is the landscape through which we journey, and you are the traveller. Now Virgil, in the medieval myths, had travelled down through hell once before, and so was able to guide Dante through its many layers. And, well, <laughs> so too I have travelled through the inferno many times, and so can make bold to be your guide. But as we'll see, Virgil never, or very seldom, lets the journey slow down. There's always the need to keep moving, so let's keep moving ourselves, and start now on Canto Two. Oh, but wait, be, be, before we begin Canto Two, we need to refresh ourselves about what had just come before. Dante, you remember, finding himself lost and out of control, was saved by Virgil, who appeared to him and offered to lead him down through the regions of hell, then up the mountain of purgatory, after which Dante would be prepared for the final ascent up through the heavens. He was ready to do anything to get out of that dreadful selva oscura, the dark wood with its hungry, threatening beasts. And so Dante agrees to follow Virgil. The canto ends with the line, Then Virgil started moving off, and I came along right behind him. But canto two does not open with the two of them moving off together, Instead, Dante gives us one of his descriptions of the natural world, telling us that the sun was going down. You may remember that in Canto One he told us that it was morning and the sun was rising in the east. And here's an example of the way Dante informs us indirectly about what is going on. Here we learn only now that he had spent the whole day lost in the dark wood and trying and failing to find the way out through his own power. All the creatures of the earth are now, at the end of the day, getting ready for their rest. But Dante, in contrast, is getting ready to venture forth on his own, down into this frightening infernal world. And then he stops for a minute to invoke the muses, as all epic poets by convention were supposed to do. And he calls upon his memory to be gracious in reminding him of all the details of what follows. And what follows is first a dialogue. I think we're to picture Dante, perhaps only two or three steps into the journey, suddenly stopping, overwhelmed with doubt. Do, do you think I have it in me, he asks Virgil, to survive this journey? I, I know you wrote about Aeneas's journey into the underworld, but he was the son of a goddess and was on a divine mission to plant the seeds that would become the great Roman Empire. He had the authority to make this journey. And, Dante adds, St. Paul also had authority to visit the regions of the afterlife, to bring back to us encouraging words about our salvation. But look, I'm no Aeneas. I'm no St. Paul. No one, least of all I myself, could say that I am really qualified to do what they did. I think I must be crazy to go where you're taking me. You know what I mean, don't you? Virgil replies quite bluntly, If I get what you're saying, Dante, you have a bad case of cowardice. But yes, I know, 
anyone can be crippled by fear, even when about to embark on great causes. So here, let me tell you what brought me to you in this place. That should wipe away your fear. And so Virgil gives Dante a little story. There I was, as usual, he says, with my friends in limbo. Uh, we'll learn a little more about this place in a few cantos. When a heavenly being appeared before me, speaking like an angel. But she wasn't an angel. In fact, in fact, she was Beatrice. Yes, yes, that woman you love above all others. And she asked me to come to you, her friend, since word came to her in heaven that you have really gone astray. I'm not here because I like it here, Beatrice said. It's no pleasure for me to leave heaven, but I am moved by love, which is stronger than my own pleasure. And Virgil then answers her very gracefully. He says, y yes, of course, I'll do whatever you ask. I'm so ready to go that even if I sped off at this very moment, it would be too late. <laughs> That's an example of Virgil's fine words. But then instead of speeding off, as he'd said, he lingers to ask a question. The Divine Comedy is full of questions. Everybody wants to learn things. Virgil asks Beatrice how she can stand coming down to the cramped center of the earth after the glorious expanse of heaven. Isn't she afraid to show up here? And Beatrice says she'll explain why brevemente, briefly, but then goes on for 30 lines. First of all, she says, when you are impelled by love, you cannot really be harmed. And so there was nothing to be afraid of in coming down here. And then she gives the backstory. The Virgin Mary had looked down and seen Dante's troubles and summoned St. Lucy, patron saint of light and enlightenment, to go to Beatrice, who, having died a few years earlier, was already in heaven, enjoying the peaceful joy, and to commission her to go to Virgil. If Dante won't pay attention to divine grace, maybe he'll pay attention to something more secular, fine poetic words, which is what Virgil is known for. And so, Virgil concludes, I have come straight over to you here. You see my divine mission to do you good. Do you think you're any less precious than Aeneas and Paul? So why are you delaying? You're not still paralyzed by cowardice, are you? No. Virgil's words have sunk into Dante's breast, and he's now quite ready to set off in earnest. You are my teacher, my lord, and my master, he tells Virgil. And then the two of them set off on the journey. The second canto ends at the same spot where the first canto ended, but this time they're really on their way. Now, here are a few reflections on what's going on in this canto. It's always good to look at the overall structure of one of Dante's cantos, that is to say, the pattern of the canto. It's a good place to start, and it can point out some important features. Of course, there's not just one pattern to be found, but here's what strikes me as the most significant pattern. The canto breaks down into three sections. In the first section, Dante and Virgil stop walking and speak together. In the middle section, Virgil speaks and tells Dante the story of how he came to Dante here. And in the final section, 
Dante and Virgil have another little dialogue and then set off again together. And we want to ask, perhaps, what happens in the middle to move us from that first section to the final one, which seems so similar to the first, but with the essential difference that now they started moving off again? What is it that shifts Dante from doubt and hesitation to our willingness to proceed on the journey? Well, when the canto begins, Dante's ego seems to take over and turns his attention to himself, not to the journey ahead. And the ego never really gets an accurate assessment of our condition, either inflating our worth or underplaying it. And here the ego underplays Dante's worth. He tells Virgil that he thinks he's not worthy to undertake this journey. It would be crazy for someone to enter the world of the dead without some divine sanction. What kind of divine sanction? Well, Aeneas, son of the goddess Venus, was on a divine mission sanctioned by Jupiter, the king of the gods, that would lead to the Roman Empire and ultimately to the Roman Catholic Church. St. Paul, accepted as an inspired agent of God, told in his second epistle to the Corinthians that he had been transported in a vision to the third heaven. And an anonymous third-century book, The Vision of Paul, describes Paul's visit through hell and heaven. In fact, that book is probably the first place to describe devils with pitchforks and other features we popularly attribute to hell. Well, these two, Dante says, could journey there with no problem, but what qualifies Dante to make the journey? He's not worthy. He's not earned the right to go to these places. And, he adds, everyone who knows me would agree. He may be Italy's best poet, but that doesn't count for much now. Virgil says this is cowardice. Dante's concern about not being worthy is apparently a kind of fear. Perhaps a justifiable fear, since Dante thinks he has to earn his qualifications. That's ego talk. But Virgil is about to explain that Dante is indeed already worthy. He already has divine sanction to undergo this journey. Virgil describes the way the Virgin Mary took pity on Dante, passed the commission to St. Lucy, who passed it down to Beatrice, who in turn went to Virgil. Here is a sequence of concerned actions, a dance in which each person is graciously pleased to help Dante find his way out of the dark wood. This is the love that moves the whole world, as Dante will explicitly state at the end of the Divine Comedy. It is a love that cares about people, even those who think they're not worthy, and that will go out of its way in order to help. It's a love that rises above and blots out the ego. The pains involved cannot harm someone motivated by love. Beatrice is not hurt, she tells Virgil, by the pains of hell, since she has come there out of a loving concern for her friend, as she calls Dante. Knowing now the way heavenly love reaches down even to himself in the dark wood, Dante can have a change of heart. What he can do is move beyond that ego self-concern. He knows his journey is sanctified, in fact prescribed, by the heavenly love of three women saints. What now is there to fear? And so, at the end of the canto, he has shifted from cowardice to courage, 
and is ready to follow Virgil downwards. <laughs> the idea of saints in heaven coming to the aid of lost people on earth may seem odd or absurd to many people today, but I think we have to consider two things. First of all, we are reading a writer from a different age, and one of the benefits of reading literature from another time or place is that we have the opportunity to enter into and explore a different way of looking at the world, perhaps a view that we don't share. But that's not the point. <laughs> we have expanded our imagination. We're less likely to dismiss others' views as outright wrong. So, reading Dante, we are exposed to an orthodox, or relatively orthodox, expression of medieval Catholic belief. Let's be open to what it says before we judge it, open to how it might help us in our own lives, how it might provide some images and ways of seeing that can resonate with our own life. And secondly, See, we may just find that this older writer is simply using different language to talk about something that we can recognize in our world today. Take Dante's cowardice, for instance. Isn't this the kind of fear many of us experience when we doubt our ability to accomplish a task successfully? We tend to think that our success in any enterprise depends on how good we are either how capable or powerful we are, or how deserving we are. We think we're in control, and if we lose control, it's because of some fault in ourselves. Or we think we have earned success, and if we fail, we blame someone else. We say the world isn't fair. These are evasionary tactics that put up a barrier and keep us from facing up to the actual task in front of us and keep us focused on ourselves, with such a view, no wonder we are afraid of what the world is presenting to us. Anything can seem like a threat to our ego. Now, we can let that Virgil figure remind us that this is cowardice. But also let us, if we can, realize that there is some kind of love behind all this, telling us that we are indeed worthy, moving us from that ego vision. We are worthy even if we fail. We don't need religion or spirituality to remind us of this. Any doctrine that recognizes the sanctity of life can tell us this. Why, for instance, is it wrong to murder someone? Well, because human life is sacred, right? Well then, if human life is sacred, it's worth something. And no life, then, is useless, including our own. We are all Aeneas and Paul, and, and Dante, and this remembrance might just give us the courage to turn away from our doubts and face up to whatever life is offering us at any moment. And if we fail, well then we fail, as Lady Macbeth said, and we try again, as we shall see Dante himself do. Two more short points before we finish here. Notice the divine game as Mary passes the commission to Lucy, Lucy to Beatrice, Beatrice to Virgil, each adding a little bit. First, the mother of mercy, then Lucy, patron saint of light and enlightenment, helping people to see where they are, and then Beatrice, the lady Dante loves and would do anything to serve, and finally to Virgil, the poetic genius, 
whose writing has always been able to teach and guide Dante, who's the modern Virgil. It's a dance. The more people involved, the better. Love is like that. And as we'll see, hell is precisely not like that. The final point I wish to suggest is that Dante's Inferno is, at one level, a myth. One way to understand a myth is as a particular story that traces certain universal truths, and a story that can connect our own lives to those universal truths. Dante tells us a particular story, and generations of readers have recognized the universal truths that the story enacts, and the details can be applied to our own lives. Thus, when we find ourselves hesitating before a challenging moment in our lives, <laughs> we might say that we are being Dante at the beginning of Canto Two. Are we afraid because we don't think we're worthy? Can we remember that this is also Virgil's moment to remind us that we are, in fact, worth a great deal? There is that dance of mercy, illumination, love, promoting our welfare so that we can stop projecting what might happen and just face the moment, even if it is a moment when we have to descend into the dark places of the world, or what is worse, the dark places within ourselves. If we have ever experienced even a little moment of someone's kind compassion or some clarity in a moment of darkness and confusion, some love for beauty, some inspiration and animation from literature, art, philosophy, well, these are the things that Mary, Lucy, Beatrice, and Virgil can represent for us. And we might then reenact Dante's change of heart and face what is right there before us perhaps still a little apprehensive, but open and ready, ready to enter into the gates of hell, which is where we will go next time. See you then.